What's up guys, it's your host Lopez, and I just want to say thank you for tuning in to this episode today. If you're on Facebook and want to show some support with a like on the page, you can find it by going to facebook.com slash Behind Closed Doors Podcast, or just searching Behind Closed Doors Podcast. You can also find it on Twitter at the BCD Podcast and on Instagram at the Behind Closed Doors Podcast. Last but not least, follow the podcast on Spotify by searching Behind Closed Doors in the podcast section to see all the amazing upcoming interviews I have to come. Every Sunday, I post a picture of a band with a hint of who my next guest is. Then on Tuesday, I post a brief clip from our video interview with a good highlight of our conversation we had. And lastly, post a new episode up on Spotify every Thursday morning. Now, on to the episode. How you doing today, buddy? I'm good, man. I, I work like six, seven days a week at my shop. So I'm still at the shop here. Some of the artists are playing Tekken and one of my artists is finishing up now. And so I'll do this and I'll probably go into the piercing room. It's a pink room, um, but it's probably the most quietest room in my studio. So, um, yeah, it's I'm flat out being a dad and owning a business. How's that so for dad life? Yeah, it's hard, man. He doesn't like going to sleep at night and he wakes up early. So I'm like just tired all the time. Well, how old is he? He's 20 months. 20. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've i got a soon to be seven month old girl, but my son was about the same way. My daughter sleeps all night. She's sleeping right now and uh, she's been sleeping since about like just shy of nine o'clock. So she's she sleeps pretty well. But my son, man, I feel you. He was up like every two hours and i think we might we think he might be on the spectrum of being autistic so yeah that might have a lot to say why he didn't like to sleep at night when he was a baby but i mean yeah man it, it it's rough especially uh if you're working full-time and imagine if you were touring right now and having to do all that work and yeah it would be easier if i was on tour because i wouldn't have oh, yeah, to deal with it here, my wife yeah. would have to do it <laughs> so it's kind of like <laughs> You know, it'd be good because I can get some fucking sleep, but um, at the same time, like everything falls on my wife and my family-in-law. Like my mother-in-law helps so much with us raising our son, and and her grandparents help. Like there's there's nine of us in this massive house. We bought this like giant house a year and a half ago, and there's eight, there's seven Latinos, and me and my son, and um, everyone helps with him. So it's it's pretty sick. Well, first off, I just want to say uh, thanks for taking the time to talk with me tonight. Huge fan. Oh, I've seen course. you guys a couple of times, actually. I've seen you in the House of Blues in uh, Chicago. Yeah. 
And uh, God, that was with Miss May I and um, Parkway. Yeah, Parkway Drive on the IRE tour. Yeah. So that was that was a pretty cool time. I can't remember the other time I saw you though. I'd have to really dig deep. It was it was it was years ago. I know that it was in Chicago. But um, yeah, man. Uh, are you originally from what part of Australia, Sydney? Yeah, like I was born in like a small country town called Grafton, which is about like 500, 600 miles north of Sydney towards Brisbane. It's kind of like a little bit like inland from the sea, but it's only like half an hour from the sea and moved to Sydney when I was three or four and then been here ever since. And the whole band, we all like originally the band, the original band members were all from Sydney. Um, and the guys that have been with us the longest and the only original, like proper original dude, everyone lives outside of our, our whole state. So um, I'm the only one that's in Sydney, the only one that's in New South Wales and one of the only few that actually live in Australia now. So I don't get to see, I saw Sean about three weeks ago. He was down visiting his family for Christmas. Um, and I, I, that's the first time I've seen Sean in almost a year. And um, I haven't seen anyone else for longer than that because of COVID. So, and everyone else, COVID's free here. Like we, we were locked down for um, um, April, May, June. And then um, everything kind of went back to normal then. So since June of last year, Australia has been pretty much like normal. with the exception of Victoria, like Melbourne area, they were like locked down for a second time for like a month and a half before Christmas. And then during Christmas, some people fucked up in Sydney and they made everybody wear masks inside shopping centers and tattoo studios. Like even now, um, the government's lifted all the restrictions with mask wearing, but in my tattoo studio, we still have to wear masks. Our client have to wear masks. The only reason why I'm not wearing one now is because I'm in a room, in our piercing room. no one's here and we're like finishing up for the day. So I fucking hate wearing them. But um, if I get caught not wearing mine, I get a uh, $200 fine. And then because I'm the business owner, I get a $5,000 fine on top of that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. So that, I think that will, um, that will uh, like stop like in the next few weeks. But as far as like people being out of work and stuff, that's not a thing anymore. It was only a thing for two and a half months last year, middle of the year, and and it probably affected fifty to sixty percent of Australians. And then it just went back to normal. Um, so I think Australia is one of definitely one of the countries up there with like New Zealand that um, that have like handled COVID the best. I know America is like proper fucked, and then um, I think the UK and a few other countries in Brazil. I think a lot of like televised media and, and news um, channels aren't really showing what's happening in South America, but um, my family in law from South America and six of my wife's family members got COVID and I think one died. So uh, in South America, it's like a proper thing. South America's fucked. So um, yeah, but in Australia, we're, we've handled it really, really well. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, the way that they count like the cases is if you've had it before and that's you know that's one case of it but if you've kept if you catch it again then they consider that a separate different case and so like the case numbers are like kind of 
doubled, I guess, in a way, even though it's just one person that's had it, you know. So, I mean, technically, they've it's a new case, but I don't know. There's a lot of people freaking out about that, thinking that that's a big deal around here. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I think from, from the very uh, little amount of reading I've done on COVID cases and the way that they, they, they're tracking the deaths of COVID, especially in America, it's, you know, people are dying of older age and mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with COVID. So they're just like marking it down as, yeah, that's COVID. I've even heard of some cases, a good friend of mine was having a conversation about this a few weeks ago. And he was saying even um, to the point that there's um, some people that have, uh, being killed in a car crash have also gone down as a statistic for um, being a uh, COVID death related related death. So um, I think that's like fucking strange as shit. So I don't like we're always going to be lied to um, by all governments, um, and I think this is just proof that that's happening constantly. And you know all these conspiracies coming out about everything and anything, even the things that have nothing to do with COVID. I think. Maybe it might be a little bit outlandish, but, you know, there's got to be some sort of truth to some of it because we get lied to every single day. So I think people are getting frustrated and uh, angry about it. But like I try and tell some of my friends that get a little bit um, into conspiracies or into things that they can't change or fix or, you know, uh, resolve um, that I feel like the world is like a bubble bath. There's this big bath full of fucking millions and millions of bubbles. Now, we, you know, I live in a tiny little bubble uh, with my friends and family and the people that work for me and my customers and whatever. That's my bubble. That's the only bubble that I can control. Um, And even in that bubble, I can't control all of the things that happen in that bubble. But I have the only power that I can control anything is in that bubble. Anything outside of my bubble, I can't control. I can't help or resolve any issues. So my mentality... It's not ignorant. I feel it's just fuck every other bubble. I don't give a fuck what happens to those bubbles. Like, I really don't care, like, what happens um, if one country's losing millions of lives a, a month to COVID or some ravenous zombie apocalypse because I can't, I can't do anything about it. There's no point losing sleep or stressing over these things because... Um, for one, I don't care. And secondly, like, I can't do anything to help, you know? So I just, I just try to like, think about me, my family, my son, my friends, the people that work with me. Um, and that's really it. Like, other than that, I I really don't care what happens to anyone. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Then you'll come to realize, you know, I should have just stayed but stuck to myself and this one never happened, you know? Yeah, and, and that's it, man. Like, I, I think when I was younger, I, I, I gave, I cared too much uh, mm-hmm. about a lot of things um, and a lot of things that I shouldn't have cared about. It, it, it's actually quite funny because I'm, I'm, I've never been one for books, but um, in the last six months, I've gone through seven books um, on Audible. I, 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 I have a problem with reading where um, I can read and no, there's no problem with reading, but attaining the information that... Um, that is in these books. Once I read something, I forget it. I don't know what I've just read. I can't remember anything. It doesn't stick into my brain. But I find if I'm listening to an audible, an audible book, um, and somebody's talking to it as, as a topic or uh, information that I'm interested in, I attain that information and that knowledge really well. And 
it's uh, it's funny because I've I'm about halfway through a book called uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, <laughs> and um, it's like it's almost like I've read it before um, because everything this guy is reading, I'm like, fuck, man, like this is the way that sometimes I think, but I feel that I should think like this more often, and if not permanently, so. Um, I feel that's a really, really good book um, to get into because, like, um, I've been really ignorant in the past saying, oh, I don't give a fuck about that or this. But uh, if you really break it down, like, I was caring so much about it and then me just saying I don't give a fuck was just an easy way out to say, like, I don't want to talk about it or you know, or whatever it was. But now it's like when I say I don't, I don't care about something, it's because um, I'm caring too much about other things of, of greater importance that's more beneficial to me and my family, my friends, my band, people that work for our band. They're the people that I do give a fuck about. And any, like I said before, anything outside of the bubble that I live in and the bubble that the people that I circulate with, I, I don't care um, because there's no point caring. There's, no, there's nothing you can do. So um, I'm just looking after my bubble man and I, I really don't care what else happens <laughs> well on a more positive note so thy art is murder is your thing the legends from australia so if you get bit by a talking spider out there and you can talk to the largest venomous snakes out there and you know uh, just by looking at that snake you'll need some anti-venom do you get that a lot from people that are like, oh, my God, you got the craziest, gnarliest stuff out there? And I've seen uh, documentaries where people are like, no, it's putting, I mean, yeah, there's, you know, different spires and snakes and stuff out there. But it's pretty much just like anywhere else. You've got your country, you've got your cities, and it's not just a, a straight big jungle, you know? No, it, it's funny because a lot of people have this, like, perception of what Australia is, and they're always very wrong. Um but Australia is more different than any other country you'll ever go to, ever, 100%. doesn't matter what city you go to. One thing that, like, once we started touring the world professionally and, and regularly 10 years ago, um, one thing I, I noticed at any country, whether it be America or Europe or Asia or South America, is the lack of animals and the lack of insects and birds. And, you know, in Australia, like, I, I live, like, two and a half miles from my studio, and it takes me, depending on traffic, anywhere between five and eight minutes to get home. And in that drive, I will, depending on the time of the afternoon or the evening, I'll see at least 500,000 bats and maybe 100,000 different birds, just like just doing their things, flying around, sitting on the grass, eating shit in a, in a tree. Um, I can see kangaroos within a 15-minute drive from where I live. And I'm like half an hour, 40 minutes from Sydney. Like they're, the just, CBD. they're just roaming around freely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like in the rural <laughs> areas, like, um, I, like where my brother lives, my brother lives about half an hour from here. So he lives about an hour at most from the, um, the center of the CBD in Sydney. And he has like wombats, um, <laughs> kangaroos. Like when the bushfires came through here, he had like, hundreds of animals like on his property he has foxes that come and steal their shoes from the front of their house so it, it it's a, it's a huge thing like our, our country is like hugely into animals and insects i've been bitten by a white widow in my sleep in my bed uh and i had like this golf ball sized lump on the back of my neck and it was extremely painful for like a week 
And then uh, it ended up going away um, after time. But I woke up going, what the fuck's wrong with me? And then I went to the doctor and he said, I think it was a widow that he said I got bitten by. But um, yeah, like I could go search for um, like redback spiders that I'll have dozens of them in my backyard and in like our garden. My brother has hundreds of um, fucking funnel web spiders and snakes. They always have snakes at their house. So yeah, Australia, we fully have all of these things. Um, I, I do a, a fair bit of fishing. Um, so I catch a lot of squid, a lot of like yellowtail kingfish, uh, jewfish, tailor, some trevally snapper. And um, I see stingrays the size of like, like, the trucks that you guys drive we call them utes here but like trucks they're as wide as a truck um stingrays i see sharks i don't see sharks all that much um but i know they're there they're always there um so yeah like our country's pretty fucking wild man yeah it seems pretty there's definitely differences that's for sure and the weather is one like today we got just near, damn near just shy of a foot of snow today so it was uh I'm, a, I'm, but you gotta remember, I'm over by Michigan, so I'm over by, you know, Michigan, like Michigan, we get like effect snow all the time, and it fucks us every time we do get it. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's summer here. It's hot as fuck. <laughs> it's it's like that year round, isn't it? Yeah, like we have winter, and it goes for about six weeks. We never get snow here. Uh, there's only one spot in Australia, or well, two little, very, very, two very small places in Australia that get snow. Um, but generally, the countries fucking hot um we have about six weeks where it gets pretty cold not anywhere like america or europe ever um and then we have probably another four or six weeks attached to that either side where it's cool but it's not cold but it's not hot but yeah our, our summer is about nine months hey dude i could use that because i'm a dump truck driver and like this time of year when it gets kind of icy and cold out it it slows us down so much so I just oh, pray would, all the time for just warm weather year round. And that would just be my, it'd be, dude, it'd be, I can't tell you how, how much that would be beneficial for me. It'd be crazy. Oh, dude. So for Thy Art is Murder, what kind of, what started the band together in the early days? It's funny. Um, I, I, I didn't, um, I joined the band about a year after they had formed. Um, I played in other bands and that's where they kind of headhunted me from, I, I guess. And they were just like, 15, 16 year old kids. Um, and some of them played in other bands like metalcore bands and whatnot. And then, um, they just grabbed this group of dudes together. I, I watched them develop and grow up. We, we went to the same rehearsal studios, everything. We'd play some of the same shows and, um, that this singer is just pissed off at the world and hated chicks. And, um, they just wrote like, I'd never heard of deathcore until them, um, and I'd watch them play and go, this is fucking wild. And Shawnee, the, our guitarist now, is only original member. And he, he was doing shit like Ben Wyman from Dillinger Escape Plan. And like Dillinger, uh, as much as they're like great friends of me now, like Dillinger have always been like one of my favorite bands. So when I became friends with the Dillinger boys, it like blew me away that I'm like friends with my fucking heroes. Um, so like, that kind of blew me away, but I still didn't understand what the fuck was going on. This like high screechy vocals and these crazy riffs and fast chaotic shit. And then these slow broken down breakdowns. I'm like elements of it really like appealed to me. Um, 
yeah, sorry if that dropped out. I'm just getting phone calls. Um, so I'm just trying to, trying to <laughs> deal with that. Just dickheads calling all the time. Um, so, yeah, and then um, about not even like nine months after I, I watched them play and we, we toured like Queensland, did a few shows together with my old band and, and my art, and then they kicked Brendan out. He was just like fucking just doing gnarly shit and saying stupid shit to the wrong people, acting like a fuckwit. Um, so they kicked him out of the band. And then they had all of this, like, posting up all these videos and flyers about trialing out for the band. And, you know, they, they blew up really quickly, but it was only really in, like, Sydney and that they blew up on the EP. And then um, all these people were trialing out, and I just didn't even give a fuck. Like, I was happy with playing in the band. Like, it's like, I was in, like, a, like a melodic metalcore band, very similar to Parkway, probably a bit heavier than Parkway, but, you know, around the same lines as them, August Burn Red kind of thing. And they kept asking me, like, you know, we want you to join. We think that your voice would be perfect. And I'm like, yeah, no, nah, it's not my thing. And then after, like, six or eight months after them kept asking and asking and asking, I just started getting irritated in my band because I was doing everything. I was doing all the heavy lifting. I was at roadie. I was helping manage. I was selling merch. I was a singer. I fucking did all this shit. And uh, I just got overdoing it. So I went to the art and I wanted to try something different and, and do something different with my voice. And then... The first year was literal hell. Um, I'd get kicked and punched on stage by the band members if I fucked up like a word or a line. And so I was like nervous playing a style of music never played before. And there was a big part that first year that I would have left because I'm like, fuck these guys. These guys aren't even my friends. I'm just, I'm trying to do something different and push my voice and like, I want to change things. And then we kicked out a few members that were like destructive and um, toxic to the band. We got some new members. That's when Andy, our, our guitarist that we have now, who manages us, came into the picture and things started leveling out. Started playing more shows, kicked out a few more people, replaced those people, started touring Europe and America, kicked out a few more people, added some more people. Um, and uh, and then, you know, fast forward like 12, 13 years later, we're, we're here now and... Um, it's just been a wild ride. Like, you know, I've, I've always grown up playing in a band since I was 12 and I, like my dreams were like to support like Parkway and Prom Queen and like all these sort of bands and, you know, do a really good record and, and maybe one day play in England or America. And, and that was really it for me. Um, I didn't really like think, like I've always had kind of realistic dreams, I guess. Um, and these days, some of the dreams I have are fucking totally not realistic. But um, if I was to like rewind life like 10, 15, like 15 years ago and and go back and visit my 15-year younger self and say, bro, like your band's going to fucking do massive things. You're going to be like the biggest band in the world in your style of music. You're going to like headline festivals. You're going to headline full tours with bands that you thought were the fucking greatest band ever. And I'm like, that's fucked. Who the fuck are you? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> um, it's just really weird. Um, I'm the kind of person, especially now being like clean and sober and trying to do the best for my son and my family that I, I can't settle for shit. Like I have like an, a near perfect life. I'm married. I've got a little baby boy and I own a business that's really successful. I have a band that's really successful. I make good money and um, everything I do in my life is what I've always wanted to do. But I want more. So, you know, I want my shop to get bigger again, which has been growing crazily over the last three years. And um, the band doesn't seem to stop. So I just want to keep kind of 
keep doing everything and have everything grow with me and around me. So, yeah, it's it's been a wild last 13, 14 years, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. So the kill, the single for killing season, It's how long has that been out for? I don't know, man. I didn't. I totally forgot we even recorded that song. Um, <laughs> we recorded that like two years ago after a Cannibal Corpse tour in America, this December 19, uh, 2019, I think it was. And we did another secret track we haven't released yet. Um, and um, yeah, I, I don't know. It was really rushed for me. The song was already written like musically. And then um, we had like three or four days in the studio in Jersey and Belleville before we flew from America back to Australia to do this festival tour. And at the same time, I was like having to sign legal documents with my family because we sold our old house to buy this new house. And I was moving house between the two days I had off from landing in Australia from America before starting a tour in Australia. Um, so it's just like, it was wild. Like I had so much going on in my life that when the band actually released Killing Season, I had no idea what the fuck was going on. I'm like, where the fuck is this song come from? I don't even fucking remember recording this song. I don't even remember the name or the lyrics of this song. And then Marshy just like emailed me. He's like, dude, you're so funny. Cause I, I posted something on Instagram, like the, the band posted a thing saying this Friday, new track. I'm like, what the fuck? And what is this? What the fuck? And, and I commented on my own band's post saying like, what the fuck? Like, you know, what is this new track? And then it got like a thousand likes and people were commenting, like, dude, you're so funny. I'm like, seriously, I don't know what the fuck's going on. And then Marshy emailed me laughing going, dude, that was a really funny comment. I'm like, dude, I seriously have no idea what the fuck's going on. And they said, you know, those two tracks we recorded in Jersey after the Cannibal Tour? And I'm like, ah, fuck, I totally forgot about that. So it's just like, I got so much going on, man. Like even like doing this with you, um, like I have fragments of time in a day that I, I can do stuff like this. Um, like I said, like we're, we're just closing the shop. We have a massive tattoo flash day here tomorrow. So we all have to get home, get some sleep. Most of us have kids here. So we put our kids to sleep and we wake up early and like tomorrow's like 14 hour day for us all. It's going to be crazy. So I don't really have much time to think about things and, um, you know, reminisce on, on days past. So it's for me, um, whether I'm on tour or, or I'm not, um, my life is busy. Like, I gotta, sh- I gotta keep shit moving. I'm, I'm running a business. My, the, depending on how hard I work is how that affects the people that work with me. The harder I work, the better they work. The more happier they are at work. So, I have to do that, and then I have to go straight from here to home, and then spend time with my son, put him to sleep, go to bed, wake up at six with him, and then I'm dad mode from six a.m. till like nine thirty a.m palm him off to my wife or my mother-in-law, come to work, work all day, get home at eight, put my son in bed. It's just like repetitiveness, but, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky to have the life and the things in my life with business and the band and family and friends. So uh, I, I don't stop going, man, yeah. It's good that you get that. That boy, it seems like he's uh, keeping you busy then. <laughs> yeah, he's fucking wild, man. Like, he, he's, a, he's a special little dude. So, um, but yeah, he's... He's wild and free and like very energetic and very loud and um, yeah, he, he's something. <laughs> so you guys' song uh, "Rain of Darkness" has the most streams on Spotify. I don't know if you're an Apple or a Spotify guy, but 
on Spotify, it's about 19 million streams. Did, what was the, wow, writing, fuck. What was the writing process behind that song, and is there a story behind it? No, I'd, I don't think there was. I think, like, we had, like, stories for songs when we did Hate. We are just, like, we'd just come off our first European tour and had the end of the first European tour. We went straight to America for the first time ever and, and then met Will for the first time. And then we wrote it and we had all these ideas and um, we knew when they wrote the song with the, just the music alone without the um, without lyrics, we knew that that was going to be one of the singles. And then um, I think we just spoke about like what we're going to sing about and, and it was kind of like, let's sing about like being this all powerful thing and you're like a, you know, like a God, but like a demon and um I guess that's kind of, you know, we wrote that record like more than 10 years ago now. Well, it feels like that at least. Um, and then um, I guess it was the first time that like I recorded um, my vocals like the way that I wanted to at the time. And then it all just kind of um, fell into place and came together. And um, it was just... Once we released it, that song just went fucking spastic. And I think that song, not only that song, but that record in, in entirety and that song driving it from the front, that's what made us who we are today. That's when no record label would sign us before we um, re we released um, Hate. And then um, when we released Hate, we released it independently through this real fucked up deal we had in Australia. And then a week after it was released, every single record label that we had approached and ones we never approached before, like Metal Blade, Roadrunner, Nuclear Bust, everyone came for us. And then um, we all sat down and we said, what do we want to do? And we ended up speaking with the CEO of um, Nuclear Blast, Monty Connor, and uh, he picked us up. Monty's the reason, he's the guy that signed Slipknot. That's a Roadrunner back in the day. Um, we kind of really only work directly with Monty. He's in New York. Um, and the guys over in Germany at Nuclear Blast in Stuttgart are, are really cool. So um, I guess the rest is history from, yeah. So for 2019's Human Target, was the most recent album for you guys. What was the feedback with that album? Um, to be honest, I'm not really sure, like other than what we see at shows, because... I don't really like stick my nose in the Instagram and, you know, see what people are saying or anything like that. But as far as shows go and like people singing along to songs and seeing fans after the show, I think it's really cool. Um, I think people have accepted it really well. I think it's also brought on a lot of new fans that maybe weren't vibing on us before we, we did Human Target. Um, so I, it's definitely... Um, it's kept the momentum of the band going, which is which is great because I think coming into writing and recording a record, a new record, we all get a little bit nervous. I know I do personally because, you know, Ed, there's bands that have always been big and they do like a shitty record or an average record and then and they're fucking done. And um, I think a lot of bands, if not all bands, going into a new pro project with a uh, with a record you always have that in the back of your mind saying like, this has to be good. It has to be better than the last record. Like, um, like if people don't like it, this is where our careers are done. Like I don't want to be done with music. Um, and when I'm done with music, I want to be like an old man. And the reason why I, 
I stopped doing music is because I physically can't do it. Like that's the only kind of reason why I want to stop. So um, it's always daunting, I think. Um, but yeah, the, I think um, each record that we've released since Hate, it's it's gathered more momentum. It's been slightly different. It's been slightly more polished. Um, we, I, I don't know what we do for the for the next record. I don't know when that would even happen because COVID's kind of paused our touring cycle. So um, we still have to kick off where we started and 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 tour the world for Holy War. I mean for um, Human Target. So we still have whenever COVID allows us to travel the world, we still got at least a year of of touring that record before we can even think about doing another record. For sure. Um. Now, the next thing I want to talk about with you is the music video for Holy War. What was it like to record that very detailed music video? Scary and fucking um, concerned. Um, and I guess the main reason for that is is that video clip was shot in Berlin, I think, in Germany. So we're in the middle, I think, or the beginning of a European tour. And we organized this crew to film it and everything. And uh, so we went into this movie set, this studio. And when we went in there, they said, okay, you have to be quiet because we're going through the movie set and they're filming for the clip. So just walk through this room and then CJ got to go into makeup um, because they had to put all this shit on my eyes to make it look like I was blind. So I had this shit on my eyes. I had some eyes for like five or six hours. I was led through the studio by these two German girls um, to shoot all the prosthetic stuff and me being blind and, uh, the first scene that we saw when we opened the door was the Al-Qaeda beheading. That was what we walked into. And I'm like, this is fucked. Because it all become very real. And, like, we were all a little bit worried about people, like, losing their minds and us getting, like, in trouble and all this legal shit. And we proved everything through our lawyers and uh, everything went okay. But after that music clip was um, released, I had about six or seven death threats. And... Um, like some of them were very, very serious and very um, like direct and they were telling us, you know, where they live. And so we had to have security with guns and stuff at a few shows um, because it was actually a serious concern um, for, for my safety. No one else was, um, you know, threatened or anything. And I wasn't the one that came up with Holy War. I'm just a fucking singer, man. Like, and um, yeah, so I like it was scary there for a little bit, man, for the first like six months or so that, that everything got released for Holy War. But um, I'm alive. I'm killing it and um, still, you know, doing my thing. It's funny we talk about that music video. I always, when, when I go to like Best Buy or Walmart with my wife, I always do the smart connect of the TVs there. And that's the, that's always the go-to video that I put on those huge 65, 75-inch flat screen TVs and people are just walking by and, they just see you screaming with the mic with a knife and the man's just going crazy. What a good, uh, that's a good way to advertise, right? Fucking A, man. Thanks. For that. That's awesome. That's Not hilarious. a problem. Yeah. Anybody that walks by, you know, they're 60, 70, 20, 15, they're walking by, they're seeing Holy War. So yeah. That's always, a, that's always a good way to advertise it. So, um, what's one of the craziest things that you've seen on tour? Dude, that's, I can't even answer that. Like, I, I've got to, like, think about, you know, I have to think about the craziest things I've seen on tour and then registers them from, like, one to a thousand and then not talk about the top 500 because it's fucked. Um, but, yeah, I've seen, like, crazy shit. Um, like, in America, like, driving through blizzards, 
Uh, we played a show in St. Louis in this metal shack across the road from this strip club. Mm-hmm. And um, we were with a Muir um, years ago. And John Blake, the legend, the sing- ex- like the singer from On Broken Wings, was a tour manager. And he got on the mic and he's like, yo, everybody get in the fucking backstage room. He's like from Boston. He's like, yeah, get the fuck down. We're going to go get hit by a fucking tornado. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and it was a tornado coming straight for like the venue. And because it was a, this massive tin building, it was just made of sheet metal. Like tornado fucking shred us all to death. Yeah. So like we, were all, we all thought we were going to die. That was like seven, six, seven years ago. Um, and then um, like we went to this dispensary in California one day. Or it was like a guitar shop or something we went to. And we're staying in this hotel and we're all high. And it was like middle of the day. So we drove down to this guitar shop or dispensary. I forget where we're going. Uh, maybe get lunch. I don't know. And we came back like an hour and a half later. And then on the way back to this shitty hotel we're staying at, there was this fucking car all shot up. It looked like Swiss cheese. It had like a thousand bullet holes in it. And there's cops everywhere. And uh, it was like some fucking massive. It was on the news. I remember seeing it on the news that night when we were watching TV. And that was pretty fucking wild. Um, seen some bands, like just awesome bands. Dillinger Parkway, they're up there for me, man. They're like the best bands for me. Um, but yeah, this has seen a lot of shit. Like it, it's hard to kind of register like what I can say and delete that shit so I don't bring it up and then um, talk about real shit. But the tornado thing, that was pretty fucking scary, man. Yeah, hell yeah. They get pretty uh, overmired and they never really get too crazy with it. I mean, we always have tornado watches and warnings or whatever, but I have yet to this day have to be able to say, oh, I, you know, I seen one from the, the field not too far from me because I live in like country land, so farmland and everything. So when it does hit, it's definitely going to fuck some stuff up because it's nothing but fields around me and you know, farm equipment and barns and all that. So it'll definitely be a, definitely not be a good deal. Um, yeah. So when you're on tour, what's a day life? What's a day in the life like for you from like sunri- sunrise to sunset? I don't know. It's a bit different now that I don't party or do any of that sort of shit. So um, depending on where we are in the world, sometimes there's cities I want to check out. Um, see you guys tomorrow. Peace out. Thanks for. Do you need me to do anything? No, no, no. All good. Thanks for fucking closing up and everything. I'll, um, yeah, I'll try and get in early. It all depends what baby's doing and, um, all that stuff. Where are you Yeah, you guys are doing it. All right. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, sorry, my crew's going. Um, I'm going to turn the music off. We're listening to 70s playlist today, so pretty crazy. The uh, guys are playing Tekken. Um, yeah, so for me, it all depends, man, like where I am. Like, I don't drink. I've never really, like, ever been a big drinker. I had, like, a big problem with drugs for a long time. And now I'm, like, pretty much sober, which is great. Um, so it all depends. Like, generally, we're all, like, we're all pretty much coffee snobs. Um, and um, we always hit really good coffee spots and cafes. Uh, we all like really good food. Uh, me and Andy are actually really good cooks, so... On our bus, we generally um, have all this equipment and everything to cook food for people. Um, some of the guys work out. Um, I've started getting into walking. I play a lot of indoor soccer, so I play like with a ball by myself or with whoever wants to kick. Kevy, our bass player, is like a super jacked fucking um, like uh, like no uh, like a like a power lifter. So he, he does a lot of lifting. 
Um, and um, then we like have something cool for lunch. Then we'll do sound check. Then we'll just hang out, play FIFA or watch TV on the bus for a little while. Depending on the city that we're in, like we might go and look at like sneak stores or, um, you know, places. It's always places to eat and good coffee to get for us, basically. I remember some years ago you had left the band. Would you be up for explaining what happened with that and what brought you back? Uh, I guess the main reason was like we were touring a lot um, and um, we weren't really making that much money at all. Uh, we'd make a little bit and um, I had planned on getting married and like um, I had a pretty strong drug addiction to cocaine was the main one and um, I just had enough of like giving everything to the band and, and not really getting financially um, compensated for that and it wasn't just me it was all of us um, and like the drug problem being away from my wife and um, not being able to settle down and living this chaotic lifestyle and getting out of hand. Um, I was like, fuck this. Like I'm done. I can't do this. I need a job. I need to support my wife. I need to save money for our wedding. When I have kids, um, I need to get the fuck away from drugs. And if I'm on tour, all these regulars around the world that come out every day, you know, about the drug addiction, they just keep bringing drugs. So I just had to, I'd leave. I'm like, fuck this. Like I'm done. And, um, had a few meltdowns on tours before that and I pulled the trigger. I don't regret pulling the trigger. I, I definitely needed to have time off to like get my head straight and, and get some things uh, aligned better in my life. Um, and then um, the first few months of being away, I didn't give a fuck. I'm like, I'm so glad not to be doing it. And um, I saw singers come and go and fill in and replace me. And um, in my eyes, they all did a shitty job. Um, except for Nick Arthur, Nick's a legend, he's sick. And um, then I started getting irritated that someone was singing in my band and it wasn't me. And um, I got a little bit jealous, I guess, to a point. But, you know, I, there's no reason to be jealous. I made the decision to, to walk. Um, and then, you know, close to a year later, I saw Shawnee, like, for the first time. And we started talking and... Um, actually I didn't see him. I think we we're like texting each other on the phone or Instagram or something. And, um, he was saying the band was struggling a bit and I'm missing me. And I said the same thing. I was struggling a little bit. And, um, I miss them. And then he, he just joked and said, Oh, well, you know, you can always come back. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Like it's that easy. And he's like, yeah, we'll just tell him that you fucked up and you need to fucking sober out. And you know, we'll, get you back easy as and then I'm like yeah whatever and then me and Marcy was talking and then it just kind of came back and at the time the band wasn't doing much and I think the, the band was a bit upset with how things were going and um, then we all kind of decided that this big festival happening in Victoria and state of uh, in down in Melbourne um, that was coming back would be the ideal comeback show you know it's uh, a lot of eyes in the world watch it. These the videos of these this festival and um, and I was working the festival anyway because I was working for this music magazine. This had a podcast back then, and um, so that was the ideal cover was to go to this festival, interview bands, and you know hang out with friends. I took my wife down and we partied for the whole weekend, and 
everyone's like, oh, you know, you, you're coming back to the IR. And I'm like, nah, man, I'm just here working for Hysteria and doing the podcast and everything. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. So we kept it under wraps pretty good. And then um, like an hour before we played, like I started getting super nervous, couldn't breathe. Um, I was like throwing up, which has never really been a problem. I never get nervous playing shows, but this was particularly different. And then I ran into the backstage room and I put like, you know, my stage clothes on and it's like a little village um, where the backstage rooms were. So it was outdoor festivals, like 8,000 people or something. Um, I ran out of our room into where they had this big like open area with bar and food and then people like clapping and cheering, but it was all just other dudes in bands. So it's just like people in the record industry, music industry and bands and they, they knew they're like, fuck this. And just like, it was like a fucking movie, man. People saw me running uh, um, through that area to go to the stage. And then people just got up and left and followed me there. And um, I was backstage. And I couldn't breathe. And then the, the boys were there and we were all huddled in and had some words. And the boys walked out into the fog of uh, the smoke hazes and the intro started and the crowd's like still quiet. Like, what the fuck? Like, who's this new singer? Like, who, who's going to do it? And then as I was walking out, I was trying, I was like crying and like um, trying to breathe and trying to put on the game face and shit and walk through the smoke. And I came out and there's like 8,000 people, 10,000 people there, like lost their fucking mind. And then I'm looking up in the hills, like where it comes down into the, where the, where the crowd come and people were running and people chanting my name. And I had to like, look like scary and serious out into the crowd. I was like trying not to cry and smile and, and then it was just fucking crazy, man. It was wild. It was such a wild experience. And we finished the set and I walked backstage and I started shaking and I was like so amped but so nervous and like it's just emotionally fucked. And then my wife, she's like six foot and she's like running down and then she's just like tackled me backstage and she's crying and she's like, I'm so happy for you. Like, you know, this is who you are. Like, you so many people love you like you you have like this massive effect on people and um you know she saw it all unfold from the vip bar and um yeah it was fucking it was like i'll never forget that that set that's one of the one of the shows i'll never forget and it was such a beautiful thing and that like rekindled the friendship i have with the guys and and, and the fans and um it, everything kind of fucking came back Absolutely, yeah. I remember I always watched that. Uh, can't remember what festival it was, but I always watched that comeback. Uh, Unify, yeah. Unify. I wa- I always yeah. watched that Unify show where you came back, and that definitely threw me back too. Because when I remember we talked just briefly at the House of Blues in Chicago, and um, yeah, it was that was around the time when you were about to, you know, you had made it public that you were thinking about leaving and. We had just talked briefly, and I knew you weren't going to go too much into detail because there was a whole line of people behind us getting ready to talk, and you were just told me, you know, it's hard with touring, and you guys were doing world tours, you know, year-round, and I can definitely see that. But um, aside that, what's one major conflict or failure that you faced while being a musician, and what did you do to overcome that? Sorry, what was the question again? What's one major conflict or failure that you have faced since being a musician? And what did you do to overcome that? I don't know. I've always had like, um, like anger issues and I guess just 
trying to deal with that um, has been a problem. The drug issues was a big thing. And I guess um, knowing I was like before, like just before we found out, when, when we found out we were pregnant, I think that's the only thing that really like helped me not like be doing drugs all the time. I think that was the big thing. And then just growing up and then getting a little bit more um, like professional and um, mature about things like, like being a business owner, being responsible for staff and their families and providing people with clients to make money and then being a father and then having like my family depend on me and all these other sort of things. Um, I, I, I feel that that's probably, that's the reason why I kind of pulled my shit together because I had so many dependents. Yeah. What'd you forget? You, your car keys. All right, bro. I'll see you in the morning, bro. Um, so I guess like, like I always have to have people like count on me um, to make me feel important and worthy, I guess. And then um, having all of these extra add-on people that I didn't have before, like having a son, this little fucking innocent child that needs me to be have my shit together and then staff and then my accountants and my lawyers and like my agents and all these people that are there to so it's a work phone going off now um yeah it was it's it was just like a clusterfuck of a million things um so i guess for me um just all of the responsibilities from people that I cared about um, and that depended on me needed me to, to be um, functional and efficient. Um, so I guess that sort of thing, having those dependents rely on me to have my shit together was the most important thing. Now, what advice would you give to somebody if they asked you for it, if they wanted to follow in your footsteps and do what you do? Don't trust anybody. Um, make sure you have lawyers that you trust, um, look over all your record deals and everything that you sign because every record label, um, will fuck you in the ass. Um, <laughs> and that's pretty much everybody that I've ever had anything to do with other than nuclear blast. Um, those guys have really like did a, did a solid for us, um, and um, just work your fucking ass off, like hustle hard, um, be true to yourself. Don't do anything because you think it's going to make you successful or don't do anything that you feel is the, you know, what people want of you or expect of you. Do what the fuck you want to do because if it fucking fails, then you know that you've stayed true to yourself. And then if, it, if you pull it off, then you know that you're the reason why this worked. You're the reason why this is successful. Um, so if it fails, you only have yourself to blame, but at least you were true. And then if you, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to fucking, I don't know. I'm going to just put the phone down. I'm going to piss, man. No, you're cool. Yeah, you're cool, brother. <laughs> now, how often, this is more of a comical question. How often do you hear people call you Jesus or say, man, does that hurt after a while after you do a scream or a vocal? Oh, I do the whole Jesus thing. It's funny. I, I used to get it a lot. Um, <laughs> I guess the person that says it more often than anybody else is my mom. Um, 
uh, which is funny. Um, uh, but the, the whole vocal thing, you know, when um, fans talk to me or even customers at work, when because a lot of people that come to my studio, a lot of them don't know about me and the band. They just think I'm just this funny, cool, nice, tall, tattooed dude that owns his tattoo shop and uh, they don't know about it. And then when they finally, someone tells them about it, then they're like, how the fuck do you do this? Like, does that not hurt? Well, you know, years ago when I was younger and I was fucking my voice up and I didn't know what I was doing, sure it hurt. I'd spit blood and I'd, I couldn't talk for like a couple of weeks or a few days or something like that. But um, I just kind of managed with it. But it, it, it does, it doesn't happen so much these days. And I guess because of COVID and everything being fucked, um, I kind of forget that I play in a band. Like I have, I've got like all these followers on Instagram and Facebook, but I don't really post up anything anymore because, you know, I, I'm too busy doing shit and I just try to stay away from the toxic side of what I feel social media becomes. And um, I look at it every day, a little bit here and there, a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there, but um, there's not really much more to it than that like you know as, as we speak i'm just shutting everything down for tomorrow because tomorrow's a really big day here and it's yeah. eight o'clock at night my son should be in bed now and um i'm probably gonna like turn off the lights and put the alarm on and do all that sort of shit and get the fuck out of here and continue with this uh this like little interview we're doing here so oh, you're good, um, dude. yeah so you know Life don't stop for me and um, I'm really lucky because, you know, I, I have something outside of music that that can keep me occupied. I went a bit fucking mad, man, like like a lot of people did um, when COVID first locked everything down because um, I got, we got kicked out of America. The first show of our American tour in March played in Philadelphia. Then Trump shut all the fucking venues. So we're in America. I spent all this fucking money four days later we had to get sent home after being there and then a week after being home they shut the tattoo industry and then 70 percent of businesses in australia so then i went from getting kicked out of america to coming home to my shop thinking well at least i've got my shop and then um a week after they're getting home it's like yep shut down two and a half months three months and then i thought fuck now i'm fucked and then i have to be 100 miles an hour doing a million things i have to be going i can't have days off because uh, my mental health suffers from there um i lose my mind i went fucking crazy man I, at least i went back got back into fishing i bought this fucking fishing boat during covid and so now i've been fishing which which helps me relax and like clear my head and turn my brain off but um yeah i went a bit fucking wild there during covid that's fucking for sure Oh, I got just two more questions and then we'll wrap it up. My first question for you, did I'm sure you heard about the uh, events that happened at Capitol Hill not too long ago. Yeah, she was crazy. I loved it. It's awesome. Um, it's funny because um, me and my uncle-in-law, we joke about America becoming like a TV show, like because it looks completely fucked, like America's absolutely fucked now. And um, it's like, you know, I always want to race home to watch um, – <laughs> I always want to run home to see what, how, like how, how fucked is America today? Like, 
that's like the whole idea is um, this TV show that's just like not real, but it is real. And um, yeah, it's, it's fucked, man. Like so much shit comes out of it. And especially, you know, looking a few months prior before what happened at Capitol Hill, you have all these marches for Black Lives Matter. Um, and then these people that are marching are getting killed or badly hurt by the police. And then you see all these fucking white trash fucking motherfuckers storming the Capitol building of the fucking country and thousands of them. None of them died. I think there was believed the one woman had died through something, mm-hmm. but it was like an accident. It wasn't. Well, she even... got shot. And you, what do you oh, expect? she did? Yeah, she got shot. So what do you expect to happen when you're storming a, a government building and you're, you're, you're putting up the image that you're going to cause violence because, I mean, if somebody stormed into my house and they were breaking shit, I'm under the impression they're going to do something stupid to me. I like I don't have guns, but I've got a few really cool knives. Um, someone come near my house and was like, I've had a group of people. I've had like three people come to my house and if they're fucking saying shit, like I'm going to knife them in the throat, like for sure, 100%. So like I back <laughs> it, but I feel that um, I feel that you know from a lot of stuff you saw on the news, like a lot of the police and there, they were just like walking with them through the, they weren't stopping them. Those guys go, all right, come on, let's go. You can't always believe everything that the media shows you because they're just showing you what they want to do for, for them to manipulate the way that you think about things as well. So it's just funny, um, you know, how things are. And I have different views to like a lot of people. And I feel that sometimes if I share those views, I'll be like put on a fucking on a spit because of the way that I viewed it. And just because it's my view, it doesn't mean that it's right or if it's wrong. It's just, I'm just giving my opinion on something for the, the few things that I've seen on something. And I think that's another thing that people, um, the thing that's really upset me about the whole Black Lives Matter and all this other bullshit. Like if you're not 100% with these people, they feel that you're 100% against them. Yeah, And that's, that's one thing like, that I was really irritated about um, that because I'm not wearing that fucking shirt and I'm not going to the fucking rallies and, you know, I'm not doing all these sort of things like that I'm against them. And, I, and I'm not, it's, it, I'm not against them at all. I'm, and, and I'm not with them. I share, I definitely share their view on, on a lot of things, but because I'm not like going out there and, you know, screaming it to the high heavens, I feel that like people like me, uh, like criticize for, for the way that we just like, look, we just want to fucking do our own thing. We fully agree with you, but I just want to be fucking left alone. I don't want to be on his side. I don't, I don't want to play your fucking game. Right. Just leave me alone. I'm happy just like hanging out by myself. Like, sure, this is fucked what's happening to these people. I agree with you, but that's the thing that's really pissed me off. Wait, look, I don't know if you can see it, but there's, there's the bats. Can you see the bats? It might oh, be a bit yeah. hard, but now I... there's like, there's hundreds of thousands of bats just flying in the sky. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's like what happens in summer. They come out of the caves to, so they can go and get all the fruit. So there's like thousands. It's like fear and loathing here. Like fucking backcountry. <laughs> so, you know, and like I said, like I live in a city. Like this is a city. It's a small city. We're about half an hour, 40 minutes out of Sydney CBD. So like I'm in the fucking suburbs, man. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone. Oh, are we going to go do dollies at Macca's? 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't do the eyes. I've got the U. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, bro. It's like, gotta do it for the fans, cuz. See, there's all the bats up here. It's crazy, bro. Oh, yeah. Now I see him. See you tomorrow. Before we wrap this up, man, I just want to ask you for this or that questions. Yeah, go for it, bro. First one, would you rather have Cheeto fingers for the rest of your life or have a popcorn kernel stuck in the back of your throat for the rest of your life? Oh, fuck. What was the first one? Cheeto fingers for the rest of your life. Cheetos? You'd rather have the Cheeto fingers? Yeah, I'd go the Cheeto fingers for sure because, like, I sing, so I need my fucking throat. Next one, would you rather have sandpaper as toilet paper or would you rather have hot sauce as eye drops? Oh, <laughs> I'd, go the hot, I'd go the fucking hot sauce as eye drops because I fucking hate, like, if I fucking, like, rip a hard shit in my ass things for, like, even if it's, like, 20 <laughs> minutes, I fucking hate that shit, so I'd rather do the eye drops. Would you rather have legs as long as your fingers or fingers as long as your legs? Ooh! That's fucking mad. I haven't heard that one before. Fuck. <laughs> um, fingers as long as legs because I need my legs to be normal because I play soccer three nights a week. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one, would you rather go around with a visible booger in your nose at all times or have a hairy mole right between your eyes? Sorry, what was the last one? Go around with a visible booger in your nose at all times. I'd go the visible booger in my nose all the time. Because <laughs> moles really no- are like, it's like that fucking Austin Power movie. like moly, moly, moly. It's like it's say, bruv. Yeah, it, I'd have to do the booger. The booger would be like something that I'd rather live with than having this giant hairy mole. Because I don't like to sit and stare at people at all for anything ever. But I know um, at times when it has has occurred that I get I get stuck. Um, you know, looking at that person with, you know, the mole or the fuck teeth or whatever it is. I know that's that's what happens um, with me. So I, I, I'd rather the booger thing. I, I feel like I could hide the booger better than I could hide the, the snotty nose. Well, CJ, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today, man. Um, even though there's a little bit of a time difference, it's now 3.20 a.m. here. Yeah, I'm sorry to get you up, man. No, dude, you're good. You're the time good. difference is a fucking is a is a kick in the teeth. One, I uh, like yeah, man. Like I said, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today, and uh, I uh, will keep in touch with you, brother.